Hello, and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we've been exploring for you here at Quilt Achievement. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on, or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Ollie Creasy, Head of Property Research based out of our London office. It's been a busy week in terms of companies reporting, so we've given Richard Carter the week off, uh, and instead we are again joined by Chris Beckett, our Head of Equity Research. Good morning, Chris. We'll come to the equity markets uh, in a minute, but ought first to touch on some of the big economic headlines of the last week. Um, So we've seen the FOMC raise interest rates again in the US, uh, and that's against a backdrop of some pretty resilient GDP figures. Um, And we've seen the ECB agree an equivalent rate rise in Europe as well. Of those data points, Chris, have any come as a surprise to you Um, and have any expectations changed as a result, do you think? I think if you look at the way um, Western economies have been behaving, inflation is much higher than central banks would like. So they've been increasing interest rates to try and slow down economies to reduce consumption and the pressure, the ability for companies to put up prices. That's ongoing. So the increase in interest rates uh, in Europe and the States, not really that much of a surprise. The real question is where we go from here and what peak rates are. I think there's still a little bit uh, on both sides of the Atlantic before we get to peak levels. The difficulty central bankers have is the increases that they've already made in interest rates haven't had their full effect. And the more recent ones won't have had any effect. There's quite a lag between uh, tightening monetary policy and its effect on the real economy. So it's very difficult for them to know whether they've done too much or too little. So increases in interest rates, not really that much of a surprise. Um, I think what was a surprise last week was how well um, the U.S. economy is doing. We had a 2.4 percent annualized second quarter GDP number. So the U.S. economy is still pretty strong. And if you're looking at it negatively, um, what um, U.S. central bank, the Federal Reserve has done, hasn't yet slowed down the economy. If you look at some of the slightly more surprising data came out on Friday, the personal consumption and expenditure data, that gives you a different measure of inflation to um, the CPI numbers and their um, headline inflation down to 3% year on year. Core inflation uh, at 4.4%, so still above where Federal Reserve would like, but closer to it. Um, within that data, you had labor costs going up 1%. So not as much pressure on tightness of labor markets and not the scale of price increases that you're seeing in some other measures. So maybe that takes the pressure off um, central bankers there to do that much more. Thanks, Chris. Perhaps the most surprising bit of all of that is you, you sound quite sympathetic towards central bankers, which... Uh... Slightly unusual position for some to take, but uh, maybe that's a sign of the times as well. It's not, it's not a very easy job, and uh, they get quite a lot of grief. Um, yeah, um, I do have a level of sympathy for them. You're not just angling for, for the next uh, the next job on the committee, I hope. Uh, no, a thankless well, task. And indeed. So so maybe moving on a bit to, and, and maybe thinking about that Bank of England uh, committee. Um, we have Bank of England... Uh, data this week and a UK base rate up for review on Thursday. So um, 
it, it might well have been a 50 basis point rise that was being considered, although uh, I think some relatively soft inflation numbers a couple of weeks ago seems to have taken that option off the table. Um, do you think 25 basis points is, is guaranteed this week? And perhaps more importantly, um, how have longer term expectations for, for peak rates and perhaps beyond evolved recently? I think it's it's not guaranteed, but it's what most market participants are assuming. If you look at money market prices, there's a, a 66% probability of a 25 basis point increase. I think the market would be surprised if there was no change or if it was 50 basis points increase. I think the last thing central bankers want to do is surprise people. So I would be in the camp of expecting a 25 basis point rise and then they'd wait to see what extra data uh, they have before the next meeting. Um, you mentioned the slightly softer inflation number. Um, we had um, headline CPI at 7.9% on the last release, down from 8.7%. It's a welcome reduction, but it is still very high, and it's what's fueling the cost of living pressures that everybody in the country is suffering from at the moment. So there's still a lot more that um, the Bank of England need to do to stop those inflationary pressures. So I think we are still a um, probably more moves than other central banks before we get to peak rates or so-called terminal rates um, for the for the UK. You're probably into next year before you get to peak rates, Q1 or Q2. So um, I think this will be the story uh, for some time to come. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, and that, that inflation number is... Uh is interesting and, and, and clearly important. Uh, I appreciate what you say. It's, it's, it's calming down. It's not necessarily calm. Um, I wonder if it's, uh, if it's still got the scope to surprise us at all somewhere. Um, I did sort of do a bit of crystal ball gazing uh, in preparation for this and noticed a few headlines about um, what Russian, Ukrainian grain exports um, and also an oil price that's actually moved up pretty much steadily over the last five or six weeks. Um, do you think these, or, or any other for that matter, these issues should concern us, or, or is it just sort of noise in the background compared to what's what's really driving inflation? Yeah, I, I think it should concern us because it really does matter, um, both in terms of financial markets and um, to all of our listeners in their daily lives. We've had one set of better inflation numbers. So when we get to the next set on, I, I think it's the 16th of August, people will be looking very closely for confirmation or the establishment of that downward trend. Um, any reversal in the progress in inflation, I think, would be taken very badly. You mentioned some of the commodity pressures um, that may feed through to inflation in coming months. What's happening in Ukraine, first, you've got to say it's still um, a very tragic uh, situation. The war, totally unjustified and on a human level, um, truly appalling. Um, 
In economic terms, what the latest developments have done with Russia targeting um, and restricting uh, Ukraine's ability to export grain put upward pressure on those markets. Um, if that continues, you'll see that coming through in terms of food prices, processed food prices um, in our shops, um, probably well into 2024. The lag um, through to grain prices to um, um, shop prices for food, most of the um, users of that grain will be hedged quite a long way forward. So it stores up inflation to come. Similarly, with the oil market, you've got Brent um, oil futures at 84.50 this morning. Um, that's gone up quite noticeably, as you say, in, in the last few weeks. Um, Saudi Arabia uh, and really OPEC plus as a whole um, doing what they can to try and keep um, well, keep oil markets fairly tight and prices relatively high, both in what they're saying and what they're doing to restrict output. I think if you delve into the detail of inflation numbers, the UK still has an inflation problem. You've got food price inflation at 17.5%, the housing component above 12%, and restaurants at 10%. Um, a lot of businesses needing or choosing to pass through a lot of extra costs. Thanks, Chris. Now, uh, last week, you mentioned on this actual podcast uh, that food supplier results could be quite instructive when it comes to that inflation uh, print, uh, and as well for the results of those food retailers who are uh, reliant on the suppliers. Um, and we're expecting those to come out as well pretty shortly. So we've got the supplier numbers now. Um, maybe quick thoughts from you on, on what to make of them and uh, if there's any conclusions we could be drawing from them. I think um, first conclusion is most of the big uh, food and beverage companies that reported last week, um, they're getting away with quite large price increases. Um, the norm is about an eight, nine, 10 percent price increase, but it goes up to the likes of Mondelez, um, the makers of Cadbury's chocolate and Oreo cookies, who um, took up prices 16 percent uh, in the last quarter year on year. So. Companies getting away and consumers willing to pay large price increases. That's provoking generally small volume reductions. Um, some categories are better than others. Um, come back to Mondelez. We do like our, our snacks and biscuits and chocolate. They Their volumes were flat. And that's really sort of the best performance you're seeing in terms of the food company. Most businesses getting a one or two percent reduction in volumes for putting prices up eight or nine percent. So still good in terms of total revenues for those companies. I think the more interesting thing that's coming out is most companies are seeing um, a bit of a reduction in inflationary pressures. So um, profit margins are rebuilding, whereas a year ago, um, when prices started going up, they were a little bit slow to increase prices. So profit margins took a big hit. Now they're more on the front foot of putting through prices and improving productivity. So margins are rebuilding. They won't shout too much about it. They don't want to be um, sort of public enemy number one in terms of profiteering from inflation. But margins are moving back to more um, more normal levels. Um, you mentioned food retail uh, markets. It is one of the oddities in um, 
how we buy um, or, or what we purchase in supermarkets, that the supermarket itself, if it's doing well, will generate um, sort of a three or a four percent margin. But the supplier, the likes of Unilever, Mondelez, Nestle, etc., if they're doing well, they'll be at very high teams operating margins. So owning the brands far more profitable uh, than running a supermarket and the profits from owning those brands are improving as they've put up prices. Thank you. So food suppliers not the only companies that have been reporting in the last week or so. Um, I think it's no exaggeration to suggest our analyst team has probably covered over 100 company results in the past week or so. Um, so as a result, there's been a lot of information to process, but how would you summarise the ongoing earnings season so far? It feels like I've done 100 companies on my own. I don't know what everybody else has been doing. It can't be that bad. There's a whole deluge of information and you're listening to a lot of different company managements give a lot of different data points and colour about how their businesses are performing. So there's a lot of interesting marginal information. But if you look at earnings season as a whole, I would characterise it as good, not great. Um, you've had about 40 percent of companies uh, in Europe and in the US report so far. So we've got a good picture of how things are working out um, so far. 80 percent of uh, US companies and 56 percent of European companies are beating on profit expectations. That's um, that's good. That's not great. Most companies. Um, well, the average quoted company finance director, one of their core jobs is managing expectations so that every quarter when they update the market, they're doing a little bit better than expected and they can raise guidance for future profits a little bit. That encourages positive momentum in the share price and keeps everybody happy. And most companies most of the time can do that. Um, If you look at where profits are going, Profits in for American companies are up about 5% year on year. Um, profits for European companies down about 2% year on year. Most of that's the makeup in the business, uh, a lower weighting to technology companies, a bigger weighting to industrial businesses that are suffering, I think, a little bit more from input cost inflation, but generally a positive. If you look at um, you look at the sales numbers, um, average U.S. company is increasing sales six percent. Average European company again down by two percent. So it's more being driven by top line than a big difference in margin changes in different markets. Um, where where markets are after a relatively good run this year is I think one of the more interesting bits. Companies that beat on profit expectations are on average not being very well rewarded by investors. So average company that beats on profit expectations sees their share price go up by 0.2%, something you can barely notice when you're looking at a chart. But companies that miss um, expectations see their share price go down by 3%. So a lot more punishment than positive reaction to company results. And I think that's where investors are. Expectations are pretty high going into this results season um, on the back of the better economic news that we started the podcast talking about. 
Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, and maybe this is just a, a good moment in time as well for me to highlight um, the uh, comment made by David Henry in his Taking Stock uh, blog, which is, is on our website now, um, worth looking at. Uh, comments on uh, well, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, um, and, and the opportunity there following that, that company's recent results. Um, we're getting to the end of that, Chris. I, I've got one more question, um, but... Uh, I'll, I'll save that right to the end. Um, it might be worth, uh, if you don't mind, I'll make a, a quick comment on the property companies as well, um, just because that's my uh, that's my area of, well, I'll say expertise, certainly the area I'm interested in. Um, and just to note that it's actually, it's been slightly early days for them. So a lot of the rest of the sectors have, have reported, as you said, um, property comes a little bit late, but, but actually what has come has been a, uh, I was going to call it something of a damp squib. That makes it sound uh, worse than it is. Uh, it's been an unremarkable season, uh, and and that's probably a good thing following what's happened in in 2022 with uh, with commercial property prices, which were down pretty sharply. Um, I'm very happy to to report that values are, are pretty much flat, and and it's sort of I'm, I'm going to say this just to tie it back to, to some of the earlier questions. Um, we have a degree of uncertainty about what the the macro story is and, and what peak interest rates are going to be. Um, the feeling that, that I get and others that I've spoken to in this market is that the property prices are, are waiting for the dust to settle in this in this arena uh, before uh, anything else happens. Um, there could well be uh, the risk of a, of a second leg downward uh, in property prices. Indeed, there could be a, a leg back up if um, if there's some positive surprises. But I don't think anyone's looking to act particularly um, on the news of, of 25 basis point rise, which was widely expected. Uh, and that's what we're seeing in, in the proxy numbers so far. So um, all eyes on the second half of this year now uh, in terms of what, what could happen in the property markets, specifically the commercial ones. Um, and uh, so we'll wait and see on all of that. I think we're, we're all recording the podcast from home at the moment. Is there any stabilization post COVID and hybrid working of demand for office space? The, the short answer is no, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I mean, everyone's going to have their own um, their own experiences and their own opinions on this. Um, and it's one of those things where inevitably you ask, the, the ask, uh, ask both of us and you'll get three or four different answers. So how many we'll get from the hundreds and thousands of listeners that we have, I, I wouldn't bear to think of. Um, there is a degree of stabilisation insofar as people are now using the office some of the time rarely are people using it all of the time, um, although there are outliers to, to both of those uh, statements. Um, but what hasn't stabilised is is how the market reacts to that information. Um, and and there's, there's big uncertainty that, that comes from it, really, which is that if you, let us say, have your employees in your office only three days a week, can you make it such that you cut your office space by 40%? Uh, and, and share desks and, and run efficiently such that everyone overlaps with each other a little bit, but also has their own time and their own space. Um, that would be nice. And I think there's a lot of people working in companies who are thinking, how can we make this work? How can we rationalize our, our cost base and, and, and work to that? Um, but the practicalities prove extremely difficult. So um, you probably don't need every single desk that you thought you needed in 2019, um, assuming your company's at a steady state. Um, but you probably can't cut it as much as the, the sort of mathematically possible number is just for practical reasons. So what hasn't stabilized is what the actual correct answer to that is. And it probably varies by industry and by even by company. 
Uh, and in some cases, we're seeing people say, well, we don't need as many desks, but we do need much more communal space. Um, and so actually, you may not even find some people cutting space at all uh, as a result of that. So um, it's still a, a bit of a watch this space uh, answer, I'm afraid. Um, it's it's very interesting, um, but there is no obvious solution at this point in time. So apologies, that's probably not the answer you were looking for, but you're you're right to say that it's a uh, it's an ongoing hot topic. Now, most analysts would like the idea that companies can save money and increase profits on the back of um, these sort of moves. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a, that would be ideal, wouldn't it? Um, but obviously, we, we would also quite like to socialise with each other and, uh, uh, and see each other in person from time to time. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking for that balance. I'm going to wrap up. I'm conscious that we've, uh, we've, we've gone on a little bit here. Um, but I have got one really big question for you, Chris, um, which is, have you seen the Barbie or Oppenheimer films yet? Um, and have you got a favourite? Uh, no, I've seen neither. But interesting, two data points. Oppenheimer was completely sold out locally on Saturday night. So consumer spending is um, it's still OK uh, in Berkshire. Uh, my daughter saw the Barbie film, liked it a lot, said it was a little bit quirky. Um, but I think Oppenheimer is the one that I want to see first. Fair enough. Uh, well, that's uh, that is some, some interesting anecdotal evidence that we got there. Um, so thank you for that. So thank you for all of those insights, in fact. Uh, and thank you to everyone out there listening. Did you enjoy the discussion today? Um, we do genuinely love to hear from our listeners. So do give us a review wherever you happen to be listening. Share it on whatever social media you happen to use and tag us at Quilt Achievement. And again, to make sure you don't miss a future episode, do please tap that subscribe button. We will be back next Tuesday. Uh, and in the meantime, do head over to the website, www.quiltachieviot.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. Uh, and you can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or indeed on those social media pages. And finally, do you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast? Simply submit them via the weekly comments page on our website. Uh, as I've said before, we genuinely love to hear those questions. That's it for today. So thank you to Chris for your time. Uh, and again, thank you to everyone out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Bye for now.